Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, that is our prayer. We open your word. It's come from your mouth for us. It brings life, brings light, brings salvation. So, Lord, we pray that we might have ears to hear, eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 13. James chapter 5, verse, sorry, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Last November, we had that storm, as you know, that blew through so quickly and so suddenly, and we ended up with a little bit of damage around, uh, around our property and, and pushed, uh, pushed our, our fence in, and so we said, you know, we probably better try to get this looking a little decent, uh, you know, until we can get it repaired. So my wife and I went out uh, a couple weeks later and said, okay, I'm just going to push up these posts, and I had a couple green uh, fence posts, and maybe I'll just drive them into the ground, put that up next to the fence, and we'll just be good to the spring. And I got out there and didn't realize how heavy those things are. <laughs> and uh, really could not, could, not, uh, could not lift that up enough. And even if I did, I knew it was just going to topple that green stake right over into the ground. It was a, it was a reminder that, uh, uh, that uh, we don't always have as much strength as we think we may have. We are limited as humans, we have to face up to the fact of limitations. We have them. No doubt, the, the older we become, the more aware we become of those limitations because it seems that with age, the limitations increase. But we are all limited. Every single one of us has to sleep at some point. We have to. If we choose not to, your body will, will make you sleep because you do not have unlimited energy. We do not have unlimited resources. We do not have unlimited time. We do not have unlimited knowledge. 
we face limitations about every part of our lives. And, you know, we face limitations not, not simply because we are sinful people. Now, let's say this, that, that the, the fact of our sinfulness adds to and compounds our limitations. But we are limited because we are human. We are limited and we have limitations in our lives because we are not God. It's interesting how much endeavor, you know, think about it in our world, how much endeavor is invested in trying to overcome human limitations. Think of all the advancements in in technology. Aren't Aren't we safer because of all the advancements in safety technology over the past 20 years? You feel safer? I don't. <laughs> but, but, but all the, when you think of all the technology, I mean, the amazing advancements in technology. I mean, how many more, car, how many more safety features are they going to put on our cars to help overcome the limitations that, that we may face as, as drivers? We are limited, and so we look, to, we look to bigger and better and smarter machines to do what we can't do to overcome our limitations, and we refine the systems because they will overcome our limitations. And in that sense, when we think of the reality of human limitation, we have become a people who look to, to science to solve that for us. Science will will solve the problem of our limitations. Science and technology and all of these things will overcome our human limitations. But I want you to imagine for just a moment this morning connecting with limitlessness. Limitless strength. Limitless energy, limitless resources, and limitless time, and limitless knowledge. Can you just imagine, try to imagine that for a moment, that such a thing exists? And that perhaps we could connect with that. Perhaps we could tap into that. Can you imagine that? Well, if you can imagine it, let me tell you what we're talking about. We're talking about prayer. We're talking about prayer. James, in, here at the end of this book, um, brings up this, this subject of prayer. In fact, in, in, uh, in six verses, he mentions it seven times. So it's a, it's a pretty important theme here as he, as he ends this book. Of course, the letter that James wrote uh, is, is a letter overall that is a very practical book. It, it, it's a book that talks about living out our Christian faith in what we sometimes call the real world. <clears throat> James takes us beyond the theoretical. He takes us beyond ideas and talks about in very practical ways living out our faith, living out what it means to be people who have been made righteous through Jesus Christ. He said, let's talk about what that looks like in real life. And so what we realize as we work through James, and we see it here at the end of the book, that that to live 
out the Christian faith in the real world requires prayer. That that prayer is, is actually a part of living in the real world. Prayer isn't, isn't part of living in some other world. It's not, it's not this thing that you do when you sort of step out of the real world into the, into the church world, into the religious world, but, but prayer is actually very vital to living out the Christian faith in the real world. And so that's the theme he draws to here as he prepares to close this letter. And here in these verses that we read just a few moments ago, he, he brings up the theme of some human weakness, doesn't he? We are reminded of our weakness, our vulnerability, our limitations as human beings. So he brings us to this theme of prayer. Look what he says. We were reading down there in, in verse 13. In verse 13 he says this, if you're suffering, pray. That is, he's referring to, you know, you're going through some, through some physical circumstances or you're going through some personal situations that are, that are distressing. Uh, they may be physically distressing. They may be emotionally distressing. Uh, actually, earlier in the context of James chapter 5, which no doubt lies behind this suffering, there was the experience of injustice. The poor were being oppressed by the rich. They were being taken advantage of. And, and it's within in that context of, of this suffering, of this distress in their lives. James says, if you are suffering, then, then pray. And, and the suffering he's referring to, it's not something of their own doing. It's, it's a distressing situation that arises. There's, there's a problem that, that comes into their lives and, and you can't make it go away. It's a situation that they, can't, that they can't solve. They can't make it stop. And so what do you do in those kind of situations and in those kinds of circumstances? You get up the, pick up the phone and start talking or you send off an, an email message or, or a text and we start talking to, to other people or, or maybe we get our sights on the, on the person who's causing it. We compose that, that nasty email and... Then we decide to hold it for the night and wisely maybe delete it the next morning. We begin to, to plot, what are we going to do? How am I going to make this right? How am, how am I going to get back at this person? How am I going to make this go away? That's typically what we do. And here's what James says. If you're suffering, talk to God. That's what he tells us to do. Talk to God. Well, well you know, we're, we're saying, well, well, well can't... Can't, you know, I mean, if, if this is an unjust situation, can I go seek justice? I mean, if there's some suffering, can I go seek relief? And he says this, not until you talk to God. Not saying that you can't go get some help, but not until you talk with God. If you're suffering, pray. Verse 14, if you're sick, Pray. A weakness, uh, incapacitated, another reminder of, of our human limitations. Um, illness, disease, whatever has come along that's maybe laid us aside, what, what should we do? In verse 14, he talks here about calling for the elders to pray, to pray. He speaks here of anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, he is not in this 
verse forbidding medical attention. He's focusing here on a spiritual reality. Doctors can help you medically, but not spiritually. And and not to get sidetracked into a whole discussion of the anointing here, but the anointing with oil was both medicinal. You can read through the Gospels and you find find that they treated wounds by anointing them with oil. They treated illnesses by rubbing them with oil. So so the, the anointing with oil was both medicinal and spiritual because you read in the Gospels that it was associated sometimes with exorcisms, where there's a real spiritual battle, a real spiritual warfare going on in, in that person's life. And, and the Gospels talks about anointing with oil. So there, there, there's, a, there's a medicinal dynamic to this, but there's a spiritual dynamic to this. While not all sickness springs from a particular sin, some does. Some does. And all sicknesses can have a spiritual impact on our lives. So if you're sick, James says, talk to God about it. Pray. Can we go to the doctor? Yeah, but, but do we ever stop and talk to God? Or, or is our first, is our instinct, is our instinct, you know, the, the, the two aspirin and the, and the hot tea and the, you know, and, and, and I'm, I, hey, I take medicine, I'm not against that. I'm just saying, what's our first instinct? What's our first instinct? If you're suffering, pray. If you're sick, pray. Verse 16, if you've sinned, pray. If you've, if you've violated God's law, you've done something against God's will. There's another evidence of our human spiritual weakness. In fact, in, in these verses, up in verse, verse 14, uh, we, we realize that, that perhaps the sickness of verse 14 is related to the sin of verse 15. He does make a, a relationship there. Our natural inclination when we, we sin is to avoid prayer. James says, if you've sinned, pray. Ask spiritual leaders to pray for you. Ask brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for you, all in the, con- the context of, of dealing with that sin. Confessing that sin. Now, the admonition to, to, to pray doesn't mean that you only pray if your sickness is related to sin. He just says, listen, if you're, that may be the case if you're suffering distress, if you're suffering hardship, if you're facing injustice, if you're sick, if there's a sin struggle going on, then pray and seek prayer. It, it's so basic, it's so fundamental to, to what it means to live out the Christian walk and live out the Christian faith. I wonder why it's so hard for us to actually do that and to feel like it matters. I mean, the, the, the question that I would like us to, as we look at this and think our way through this, the question is, is, is prayer actually powerful? Does, does it actually do anything? Or is it more what some might consider a psychological crutch? You know, just some, some emotional thing that we sort of fall back onto when we can't handle life. 
Or, or does this prayer actually do anything? Is there real power that accomplishes things through prayer? Well, from, from the text here in front of us in James, we'd have to conclude that, that yes. That yes, yes, it is powerful, and, and, and yes, it, it does bring about things. I mean, the, the words effective, when he, when he talks there uh, in verse 16, the, the, the effective prayer, it, it's a word that speaks of, of power, it's, and, and he says there that, that this effective prayer avails much. Th- those, those two words tell us that prayer has power and prayer accomplishes things. That's what he's saying. I mean, in verses 15 and 16, as a result of prayer, the suffering and the sick are raised up, they're forgiven, they're healed, they're restored. In in verse 17, as a result of Elijah's prayer, it didn't rain in Israel for three and a half years. In verse 18, as a result of Elijah's prayer, it poured down rain and the ground began to produce grain and fruit again. Yes, yes, prayer is, is accomplishing things. There, there, there's power that, that, that's being manifest through, through prayer in these verses. So the question is, well then, what is it that makes prayer powerful? And, and how do we... How do we Experience in our lives. Can we experience that in our lives? Or is that a, is that a thing of Bible stories? And, and not life in the real world? What is it that makes prayer powerful? Is it, is it, is it numbers? You know, the, the, the more people you have praying for a particular thing, the more power there will be. Maybe, but maybe not. I mean, in Acts, you have groups coming together, praying, and God does mighty things. In Acts chapter 16, you had two men praying, and God sent an earthquake and broke them out of jail. Is it postures? I mean, the Bible talks about postures for praying. Um, So which one brings the power? Is, Is it saying the right words? You know, we're given the Lord's Prayer. We're given... Uh, in Jesus' name? Is it, is it saying the, the right words? Is it the frequency? Is it the frequency of prayers? Well, I, I think that that can factor in, but, but Elijah prayed one time in 1 Kings 18, and fire fell from heaven. And what's interesting is, in, in, in this James passage, a few verses later, he prayed seven times, <laughs> and then rain came. So which is it? Is, is there power in praying it one time, or do you have to pray it seven times? Is that where the power is? Is it the length of praying? The, the, longer, the longer we pray, the more power it stirs up. Well, maybe, but it's interesting that, that the, the prayer that Elijah prayed in my translation of the Bible, was 63 words, and fire fell. It's not very long. It's not a very long prayer. And power came. But we know there's times that Jesus prayed all night. <laughs> so so we, we see both in Scripture. We, we, see, we see devoted times given to prayer, and, and we see these times when it's just a, just a prayer cried out to God and powerful things happen. 
What, what, what then is, is, is the power of prayer? What's it related to? Where does it come from? Well, there's, uh, there, there's, there's two things. It's actually one thing, but it takes, I think it takes two things uh, for us to experience power in prayer. The first is, is God's ability. The first is God's ability. What, what makes prayer powerful is God, period. What overcomes our human limitations is God's limitless ability. I believe that we must be awakened afresh to believe in God's ability. Because we live in a world that gives us so many other options. So many other options. We must be awakened afresh to believe in God's ability, to believe in God's power. That the healing and the forgiveness that we see in verses 15 and 16 of James chapter 5 were the result of God's power over sickness and over sin. The the withholding and the giving of rain referred to in verses 17 and 18 were the result of God's power over the natural world. It, it It was God, not Elijah. It was God who, James says, was a man with a nature like ours. God's power. I think we see this, how this works out in another passage in Colossians. I want to look at Colossians chapter, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and then verse 29. Paul writes these words. He says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Then note this, strengthened with all might, how? According to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering and joy To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works mightily in me. God's power, our strength, and our might, as Paul describes it here in these verses, is derived from, finds its source in God's glorious power. The power that we may experience in our lives and in our prayer is due to His working that works mightily in us. His power, His work, and His glorious power is, in the testimony of Scripture, is limitless. There is nothing that is impossible for God. See, things happen all the time in the, in the real world that expose our limitations. 
We're here at the beginning of a new year, and none of us knows what lies ahead of us this year. None of us knows what weaknesses and limitations in our own lives may be exposed this year. The power you most desperately need is not supplied by anything in this world. It's just not. It's in God. So the power of praying is God. It's not you, it's not me, it's not the elders, it's not the oil, it's not our words, it's not our methods, it's not our strategies. The power is God's. There's power in prayer because God is. If powerful things happen in answer to prayer, it will, it will not be because you got it right. It will be because of God. And, and that's why we can't let our fears of, well, I don't know, I don't know what, to say, what, what to say. I'm afraid I'll say it wrong. And I don't know. It, 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 the power isn't in saying it right. The power is in God. It's in God. What overcomes our limitations is God's ability. Until this God is real to us in daily living, I don't care how many books you read about prayer, I don't care how many strategies you've got in your mind, if this is not real to you, you will not pray. You won't. Oh, every now and then, you know, a preacher might say something, make you feel guilty. Okay, I better pray. Better. If, if, if the reality of the limitless power and resource of God is not real to us, we will not pray. Because we will turn to the other things that seem to, to be providing what it is we feel we need. But for us to experience this power of God, something else must be united to God's ability. So what makes this God real to us is, the second thing, is our humility. Our humility. Go back a chapter in the book of James. James chapter 4, another place where he talks about, about prayer. I believe that's what he has in focus. James chapter 4 talks about just conflict. Um, conflict between Christians, but also, he said, really, conflict between Christians is the outflow of conflict in our own souls. Verse 2, you, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. And, and then undergirding all of this, what, what is it that, that, that stirs this, this not asking, or if you will, this, this asking, as James says, this asking amiss? Verse 6, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The proud don't seek God. Their first concern is not God, it's themselves. It's their, it's their life that, that, that they want. 
They may say they, they, they trust in God, but the proud really trust in themselves. And, and, and for the proud, at best, prayer is a religious exercise. They, they may say their prayers, but they do not see prayer as necessary for life in the real world. You know, we, we might say, well, you know, because as I think about life, you know, aren't we supposed to do something? I mean, prayer is, is you know, like, is this holy thing. You, you sort of get off by yourself and, and, and you're just, you know, in, in this other world and you're, you're thinking and you're speaking and, and you know, and, and aren't, aren't we supposed to do something? You know, like if, if, I, if I don't have a job, shouldn't I be going out and looking for a job? Shouldn't I be, you know, if I am sick, and, and I'll, you know, shouldn't I be taking some steps to try to, get, to, to try to get better? Not just waiting for something else to happen. Well, yes, but the problem is we get the order reversed. We try to address the situation. We try to solve the problem first, and then if we can't, then we go to God. But God calls us to come to him first, to start with him. I mean, it's like a, like a son in need who does everything he can and goes to everything, everyone else. And when it doesn't happen, then he goes to his father who rightly asks, why didn't you come to me first, son? How often do we do that to God? It's our pride. God's ability, our humility. So, so how is it that the humble connect with God's ability? How, 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 does, this, how does this work? How does this happen? Well, in, in, the, in the text here in, in, in James, we, we, just, we just saw it here, they, they do so by receiving his grace. They, they receive his grace. The, the humble confess that they are unable. The, the, the humble confess their, their limitations. The, the, the humble don't put on pretense. The, the humble know they are undeserving. The, the humble realize that the reason Almighty God answers in the first place is mercy. They realize he doesn't have to listen. God doesn't have to care, but he does. He does. And, and so the, the, that, that's the, that amazing statement, God, God resists the proud. God sets himself against the proud. But he gives to the humble. He pours out to the humble. His power flows to the humble. So the humble connect with God's ability by receiving his grace. Second, they, 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 they connect with God's ability by pursuing his agenda. I mean, if you're, the, the one in, in, in Scripture and even in this context, the humble person is the person who is pursuing and devoted to the agenda of God. That makes a, listen, that makes a difference in our prayer list. Whose agenda, whose, whose agenda is on the table? Is it, is it my agenda for the good life or is it God's agenda for my godly life? Which is it? See, the, the, the humble connecting with God's ability because, because one thing that's true about the humble is that they pursue the agenda of God. Number three, how do they connect with God's ability? Number three, by accepting God's agenda, even when it's not what we might wish for. The humble do that. The humble do that. See, here's, here's the often 
the question that, 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 that I face and, and, and I'm thinking through. Okay, on the one hand, we know that God is powerful. We believe that God is powerful. What we don't know is how he will manifest that power in our lives. I think often it's not a matter of us doubting what God can do. It's our struggle with knowing what he will do. The humble accept God's agenda, even when it's not what they might wish for. Let's go back to the Colossians passage again that we were at. Okay, so, so we talked about strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. We see all of those, you know, striving, his working. But, but to what end? <laughs> what end? What, what is this all about? What, what are we being strengthened for? What, what is his glorious power focusing on? What, what is it that he is working in me mightily to do? Well, look at those statements. To be filled with the knowledge of his will. Uh, he does it that we might walk worthy of the Lord, that we might be fruitful in every good work, that we might increase in the knowledge of God, that we might know patience and long-suffering, not with misery, but with joy. Paul says, to this, to this, I, I work, I, I labor, I strive. How? By God's working in me. So what is the focus of the power and the might of God in this situation? It's doing all these amazing things of filling us with the knowledge of his will to walk worthy and be fruitful, increase in the knowledge, strengthen to do what he has called us to do, that we might, that we might do so with patience and, and, and joy and long-suffering. That's what he will give us the power to do. He's promised it. But is that our agenda? Is that our agenda? It could very well be the things that we wouldn't put on our agenda. It could very well be things that we don't consider to be part of the good life are the very things that will accomplish that. So we connect with God's ability by accepting his agenda even when it's not what you might wish for. Number four, we connect with God's ability by dealing with whatever stands between you and God. In James 5, it's this matter of sin. Whatever it is that stands between you and God. It could be we don't know power in our lives from God because our hearts just aren't where they need to be. There's sin and there's things in there. We've just gotten used to it being there. We've learned how to cope with life. We've learned how to We've learned how to live a decent, upright life while not dealing with the, with the things of the heart before God that shut off his power, that shut off the, the working within us of the very things he wants to do. The humble, the humble will deal with whatever that is. I mean, to the point in verse 16 that they're confessing their trespasses to one another. That takes a humble person to be that vulnerable. And why are they willing to do that? They don't want anything shutting down the communion with God, the power that is from on high. That's, that, that, is, that is so compelling to them, they will do whatever they must do to keep those lines open. 
prayer, I, I think, can be defined in this way, that, that, that prayer is, is something offered to God, okay? So think about this. If, if prayer is something offered to God, then humility is the altar upon which that sacrifice is made. If prayer is something offered to God, then humility is the altar upon which that sacrifice is made. And it could be we don't know power in prayer because we're not offering it from the the altar of humility. See, prayer is a face-to-face encounter with God in which we offer up our heart's desire to him. Prayer isn't asking God to, to make up the difference between what we need and what we can't do. Okay, God, here's what I want, and here's what I can do, so can you just please make up the difference? Uh-uh. Prayer is surrendering and offering all that we are and all that we have to God in exchange for his answer. Lord, I, I put it all on the altar, my life, my job, my health, my family, my future, because I need you. This is all yours, so that I might have what you want to give. It's not a bad exchange. Our limitations for his limitlessness. God's ability, our humility. Listen, and humility is not a strategy, by the way. It's a heart in touch with reality. And a heart in touch with reality will know God's power. I'm praying that we would be awakened to God and convicted of our own pride that hinders us from dealing with the things that keep us from powerful praying. Here at the beginning of this year, I'm not proposing to us a prayer strategy for getting what we want. I'm praying that we be awakened to the power of prayer in our lives personally, that we would be awakened to God's power in our family, times of worship and devotion. I'm praying that we would be awakened to God's power in our church, that we would pray this way in our ABFs, that we would pray this way in our growth groups and in our ministry teams and in ministry endeavors of, of every kind and ministry opportunities we will have before us in the coming year uh, and praying for this way in, in, in prayer services that we will have. We're going to have one this evening. We're going to try to apply some of the things that we've talked about even this morning. See, what we need in our preaching and our teaching and our outreach and our discipleship and our children's ministries and our youth ministries is God's ability that can overcome our limitations. We hear compelling stories of the power of prayer and we wonder, you know, could that be true for me? Could that be true in my life? Could that be true in my family? What do I need to do? What will overcome our limitations as people and as a church? Well, I just bring it back. God's ability and your humility. Is either of those missing in your life? Let's look to the Lord. Lord, we humble ourselves before you 
because it is you we need and it is you we have through our crucified, risen, ascended, coming again, Lord Jesus Christ. We have power because of what you have done for us through Christ. Lord, we confess that we are, that, that we are prone to be drawn into the same assurances and safeties of the world. We confess that we are, that we are too prone in times of suffering and sickness and distress to look elsewhere first instead of talking to you first. We don't, we don't mean to deny your power, but Lord, so often we do in our, in our very behavior. Somehow, Lord, there can just be a lack of desperation for that power. We, we, we've got life managed, and to the degree that we have life managed to that degree, we don't sense a need to turn to you. Even as a church, Lord, we can, we can get things figured out and we can have programs running and, and we, we've got things in place so we can gather for a worship service and, and we can offer all these things, Lord. And, and, it, and it's very easy for us to feel like we've got it managed and when we feel we've got it managed, we don't turn to you because it's all empty and lifeless without your power. So, Lord God, stir within us by your convicting spirit a true humility that cries out to you, we need you. We can't do, can't do it, Father. Perhaps, perhaps in some of our lives, we, we prefer the safe, the safe, familiar life, and we are afraid to step out into anything new and, and unfamiliar. And yet, that's the very place where you might want us to be so that we will learn to cry out to you for your strength and your power. Maybe this year, Lord. Maybe this year. Maybe right now in this moment. Help us to deal, Lord, with the things that we've avoided. The very things that are cutting off the experience of your power in our very lives. Because those things can be dealt with through Christ. He went to the cross for it all. He paid the price for it all. For all of our sins. For all time. That we wouldn't be shackled by those things. But that our hands might be free and open and ready, lifted heavenward to receive what you have to give to us. Let that be our lives our families, our church this year. Help us, Lord. Yeah, we want to make plans, and we, we need to, but God, plans without your power are nothing. And so we call upon you. Do a mighty work, fresh work in us. Awaken us, Lord, to the reality of your power, your might, your limitlessness. Help us this year. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.